0: oh i come from a nation what knows how to write a song
1: Hello and welcome to the Eurowhat, episode number 30 for the week of November 19th, 2018. I'm Mike McComb and I'm joined today by Ben Smith. Hey Ben! Hey Mike! We are a couple of Americans trying to make sense of the Eurovision Song Contest, and this week we'll be talking about one of our favorite Eurovision rabbit holes. But before we get to that, there's been a lot of news that has been happening in the last yes. of weeks. Yeah, it's. I guess it's that time of year. Like the, <laughs> the contest I do is like actually. How, I feel like how we're like just
0: slightly surprised every time we get together to record that. Oh, hey, news has happened.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it it, it changes every year. Like sometimes it's just like, oh, is there even going to be a contest? Because nothing's happened in like months, and like it's just been very steady stream this time around. So. Yay for that. In typical podcast tradition, 45 minutes after we dropped our last episode, the uh, EBU announced that they have a final count for next year's contest of 42 countries.
0: Yeah. And there was like a, I, I heard like a whoosh the last Wednesday we dropped an episode and I assumed that was the edit going through.
1: hmm mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we were going to talk about like speculating. It's like, oh, is San Marino going to be there? Russia? Moldova? Like what, what, what could be holding them up? And then like, as soon as it was announced, it's like, well, great. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> snip, snip. Yeah. The, well, yeah, like uh, San Marino had confirmed while I was editing and it was like, oh, all right, well, can get rid of that. Uh, the rest of the stuff that we're saying doesn't really make sense. Let's like cross our fingers. And then, yeah, the, the news dropped that it was 42 confirmed, as was expected.
0: I like that we have 42 because it means that we have two nice, neat semifinals of 18 contestants, not like one of 18, one of 19. Mm-hmm. Standard grand final size of 26.
1: Yeah, just in terms of organizational purposes for blogging and podcasting. And it's just, it's nice to work with even numbers. Yeah, (laughs) And we'll find out who gets assigned to which semifinal when they have the semifinal allocation on January 28th. That's pretty much the next big deadline uh, that'll Mm -hmm. be coming up. And then the deadline for submitting the actual entries is going to be March 11th probably with a leeway of a day or two here or there yeah russia usually i'm I'm sure they get their entry in on time but it's not actually revealed to the public until like a couple days later everybody
0: makes that big dramatic
1: reveal like the day of yeah yeah because because people got to be fancy uh, yeah, that does seem like an earlier deadline than in years past. So yeah, I'm just yeah c- trying to look <laughs> ahead to the like national final season, being like, oof, mm-hmm. there are going to be some cramped Saturdays. In there. <laughs> I, mean, I, I feel
0: like it's it's about mid March when it happens, and apparently the 11th is the closest they could get this time around. Mm-hmm. But, because like you go another week, and that's suddenly the 18th, and. And it's like right around the corner that two months later, you're in big Eurovision season. So I guess they want to space things out a little bit so you can have those big in-concert things. You can do the whole promo tour. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that's something to look forward to. Another thing to look forward to is tickets going on sale, which seems kind of early, but... Uh looking back at last year's uh just various Facebook statuses from like Facebook memories being like, Hey, I'm getting up at four in the morning trying to get tickets <laughs> at four oh five AM. Hey, I was ninety thousandth in line. I did not get tickets. <laughs> but uh according to the I guess request for proposals for the various ticket vendors, they're aiming to have three waves of sales, one in December, one in February, I believe, and then one to close it out in April. I think those months are right. Okay. Yeah, the December sales today, that one's going to be fun to watch. uh,
0: Admittedly, there are fewer tickets to go around this time. I mean, there are are lots of semifinals and other opportunities to see things, of course, but just in terms of venue size, Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be smaller.
1: It's also a little trickier because I, I think last year when they did the first wave, they were just doing tickets for... It was either just the final or uh just the televised portions, and like it was a very limited sale, just so that like well we know we're gonna have at least a thousand people at at the venue, so we can sell a thousand tickets per uh per show it It sounds like with this one they may be trying to do like full sale and then or at least covering what they know will be available and then the remaining waves will be like oh well we have more space than we thought so mm-hmm. uh, we'll, we'll try to get more tickets that way
0: as they sort, probably as like finalize uh staging designs and understand mm. how many people can safely be let into the venue right that sort of a deal yeah
1: so be on the lookout for that we'll keep our eyes on it and who knows tickets may be on sale like 20 minutes after this episode drops yeah uh, they will not it is they still will not november, they so. said <laughs> december and it will still be november when this <laughs> drops
0: uh but you know, get those get those pocketbooks ready. Uh which speaking of getting your pocketbook ready, uh, you might want to book that hotel now.
1: It may already be too late for yeah, that.
0: But, honestly, you may have wanted to book your hotel a month ago. Remember how last time we were talking about how there's gonna be like a fun cruise ship in the Tel Aviv harbor hanging out and acting as a place to both stay at Eurovision and contract the norovirus? Mm-hmm. Well, great news. You have a third option, if that does not sound like fun to you, and it's called camping in a tent. Yes. Tel Aviv is considering not only tent space, but also caravan space if you want to drive your RV out to Tel Aviv. There's not a whole lot of hotels. Uh, They're also telling people to go to the outer suburbs, which I get that. That's that's actually a very good option, is that, hey, here's this neighboring city that is technically part of greater Tel Aviv. On the other hand, I wonder if if Greater Tel Aviv is like Greater Boston, where actually you're in a completely different state.
1: Part of the contest may end up being held in Jerusalem, just because that's where all the hotels are at this point. That's
0: where my hotel is, and it's a two-hour bus ride away or longer. I don't know. I didn't Google that. Book your hotels now. Get in on those low, low prices on Airbnbs, assuming there are still low, low prices on Airbnbs. Alternately, ask yourself in your heart of hearts, is this the year I need to go to Eurovision? Because it seems like there's not going to be a ton of lodging, y'all.
1: Start getting into the online groups and making friends and uh, see if you can get a roommate situation set yeah. up. Because I guess it's fine that it's going to be a smaller event, because like, if was any larger, there's not going to be room for more people, so... Ugh, yeah. yeah, it's a lot, of, a lot of logistics very early on. So uh, good Good luck to everybody who's trying to make the trip next year. Let's see.
0: Time for my favorite part of the program this week in boycotts. Woo! Uh, Jan Olasand uh, had a lovely little interview where he was just talking all about the Tel Aviv and the upcoming song contest. And it was like, this, we really wanted to make sure this was not going to be a political competition and this was not going to be about politics, which, drink. <laughs> it's like, Jan Ola Sand, you have been doing this how many years? Come on.
1: One of the quotes in the article is just like, We do not want Eurovision to be used as a platform for any political aims. If there is a fan who is also an activist, we do not think that this is a positive thing. We want people to come to Israel and enjoy. That's it. There is nothing I can do about people's perception of Israel. Whatever they think about Israel is their own opinion. However, the EBU is an organization with clear policies. No politics of any kind is allowed. In fact, no country has announced that it intends to boycott Eurovision, and it is now a fact that Israel will host Eurovision.
0: No country has announced that they're going to book. Okay, lots of them did try. Jan Olafson, come on. He's really in a
1: lose-lose position here. It's just like, yeah, yeah. I mean,
0: he, he does not have an easy job being the being the the official kind of voice of the the EBU and the uh, Eurovision process. So I get it.
1: Yeah, I mean, the goal is to make sure that like everybody's able to travel into Israel without difficulty or discrimination or anything like that. Uh, particularly with whatever their politics or background, maybe. So it is an additional challenge that Eurovision will have this year, but uh, it seems like they're trying to get ahead of that as much as possible. So that that's a good sign.
0: Yeah, good on them. Our other recurring segment, the ex-Eurovision contestant factor. Mike, how are things going on X Factor where Brendan Murray is still a contestant?
1: Things seem to be going well for him. Let's see. Week four was two weekends ago, and it was movie night where... If a song appeared in a movie, I guess it was up for grabs, because he did R.E.M.'s Everybody Hurts. And even after, like, ten minutes of Googling, we still couldn't really figure out what movie the, this the was The closest you could with. find is
0: A Night at the Roxbury, mm-hmm. which, for our non-American listeners, is, is a movie that starred Chris Kattan and Will Ferrell, and it was an extension of an SNL sketch that really couldn't survive past three minutes, so why would you make a 90-minute film about it?
1: Don't you miss those days of SNL? Like, what, what was the last SNL movie?
0: I believe it. W- oh no, it was MacGruber. It oh, was that's MacGruber, right. And I remember seeing Magruber in the theater, mm-hmm. and knowing going in it wasn't going to be good, and still being disappointed. Yeah. So that's, that's, <laughs> so that's like a that's like a fun story about me is that I went and saw MacGruber in the theater despite knowing I was not going to like it.
1: This food is terrible, and there's so little. And of the portions it. Yeah. are so small.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, it was a real situation like that. Anyways, he did. Everybody hurts, which might be from when a man loves a woman. I don't know like movie night is like a nice big broad category like I feel like at some point I I was in, involved in a concert where the theme was like movies. And mm-hmm. It was used as like the thinnest of excuses to shove whatever song they actually wanted to do in the concert. So mm-hmm. it does not surprise me that that the X Factor is also doing that sort
1: of thing. Yeah, and I mean it happens every year where it's just like okay, this is the list of songs that you can choose from and this was one that was definitely in his wheelhouse. I I think he mm-hmm. might have done it during one of the audition phases, and yeah, it was a very good performance, and so he was safe from that week's uh, double elimination. Turns out that every week has been a double elimination. I did not realize that uh, was mm-hmm. happening this season because, again, I'm not actually watching the show; I'm just watching YouTube clips. So. And like, as somebody who is
0: like, who who from the the logistical point of this podcast is like, how many more weeks are we talking about the X Factor? Uh, went on to. Wikipedia to try and understand how many contestants are left. I was like, okay, he's been in there like a few weeks, so he's got to be down to like the top five. As it turns out,
1: there are still like a lot of contestants in the competition, like almost all of them. So they started with 16 at the live shows. Uh, This past weekend, which was week five, uh, they were down to 10. And this week's theme was big band slash... Rom slash we have an orchestra like it it was very unclear from the song choices what the theme was but i think officially it was big band and he did the uh, song say something which didn't really use any of the instruments that were provided for him i mean again it was it was a song that was definitely in his wheelhouse it was on the list of songs that they had for clearance that week so yeah it went well for him He was safe from this week's double elimination, so now they are down to eight contestants. And next week is the semifinal, which is like, wow, that seems really early. Next week should be, uh, I don't know, it's ABBA week, which like, just generally I'm kind of excited about.
0: As a theme week for a musical competition program, I'm down with an ABBA week.
1: Yeah, and it's totally on topic for us. What song do you think he's going to do?
0: Um, my money. Just given his proclivity for either taking up tempo songs and making them morose, or picking mm-hmm. slower songs that are in his wheelhouse. Um, I'm thinking something like "I Have a Dream," mm. or or if I was gonna pick a deep cut from the Abba Gold CD that every every person in America is assigned once they come of age, uh, I'd pick "One of Us." Okay, like, like like an '80s deep cut. Alternately, uh, just like a real sad slow version of "Dancing Queen."
1: Oh. Oh, <laughs> I can totally hear that in my head right now. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I was thinking maybe the winner takes it all because that, that one's also like kind of slow and in, in a singing competition that could be sound a little ego something to look forward to. Yeah. And Benny and Bjorn are supposed to be I don't know if they're going to be like guest mentors or also performing, but maybe they're just sitting in the same room there we go yeah just, uh, just,
0: just let's cut to them and let them wave and we're back
1: yeah yeah so, um, nodding approvingly every every so often just the so, two of them
0: on yeah. one side of the room and camera pans over to the other side of the room where agatha and annie freed are are sitting
1: yeah or just photos of them because they can't <laughs> all be in the same room at the same time just just,
0: just cardboard standees <laughs> in the backdrop.
1: Uh, yeah, I wonder if it's also kind of like how they have, like, the designated survivor during, like, the State of the Union things, where it's like, oh, we can't have all four people of ABBA in the same room at once. Like, one must be, like, in a secure location at all times. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Uh, and let's see. Uh, Look, also, somebody up, has to watch the ABBA Museum. Is there an ABBA Museum? I would love yes. to, to that. Yes. Uh, yeah, Ooh. like Stockholm or something, yeah. Nice.
0: Look, they saved all those costumes for tax purposes. They're going to get their money's worth. Do it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: also happening next weekend is junior eurovision
0: which good for them
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i mean like you're probably gonna like if you follow eurovision blogs or other eurovision podcasts they are really into it i guess i don't know but um <laughs> <laughs> the official stance
0: of this program is still a, is still a hard no
1: yeah i mean i've heard clips of some of the songs and they're fine but like it's just it's kids so <laughs> <laughs> but you should be able to stream that online on like the ju- uh, Junior Eurovision website. If you just do a Google search for JESC, you'll find more content than you'll know what to do with. It's taking place in Minsk, Belarus. Check your local listings. Check,
0: check, and by local listings, we mean the internet,
1: right? Check the internet.
0: <laughs> I'm just picturing a scenario where in like Pittsburgh it airs at like 3 p.m., but in Detroit it's at seven.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's like soul train you know <laughs> like junior eurovision's on and it's like oh i guess cartoons are over but uh
0: <laughs> so let's let's get to the meat of this program and since mm-hmm. it is thanksgiving week let's talk turkey specifically let's talk Dustin the turkey who is like this is like one of the weirder rabbit holes we've gone down and there's so much there's so much
1: it really took me by surprise. Like, we, we had a slightly tweaked version of what yeah, we, we were going like to be talking larger, about. Yeah, we had like a larger, broader
0: week. topic that we can come back to at a different time because we got sucked down this dust in the turkey rabbit hole.
1: Yeah, like, I, I started doing research for this, and this was the first song that uh, I, I was looking up. It's like, oh, well, I'm already kind of familiar with this one. And then just getting deeper and deeper, and just like, whoa, there's there's a lot of content here. We need to dive deep rather than go broad. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: So I, I guess in the interest of starting us off on a, a good note, uh, who is Dustin the Turkey, Mike?
1: So Dustin the Turkey is a character that debuted on the Irish children's television show The Den uh, in 1989. Like,
0: First of all, this is this is like a children's television program character. Like I thought this was like an adult puppet. Like this was a puppet that was strictly for adults at all times.
1: I don't know. I think it might be kind of like in Pee-Wee's Playhouse where it's just like, Yeah, this is totally for kids and it's totally not for kids, but okay. like uh like okay. it's puppets.
0: I mean and like in fairness, when I think of thirty year old puppets I think of things like mystery science theater, so I, mm-hmm. I guess there are other like thirty year old puppets just kinda of wandering the earth. There you go. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if they travel in the same circles. Uh, anyway, uh, any, anyway, uh, Dustin was kind of a breakout character uh, from the show and had a string of songs, like released some albums, kind of kind of, of the Weird Al parody okay. vein. And some of those songs reached number one on the Irish charts, Okay, as, as well, you do. So-
0: <laughs> the website Stereogum has started a series this year called The Number Ones, where they're sort of tracking and talking about every single number one song that topped the Billboard charts in the US. And especially in like the mid 60s, it's been really, really interesting just how you have lots of different musical trends kind of competing against one another and reflecting the taste of the time. If you take that and then look at like the the UK or Irish charts, it's like even crazier.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, it's just like the the Christmas single is such a big deal, which like kind of going back to the whole X Factor thing, like that was for a while there, like whoever won the X Factor, like they would end up ultimately having the number one song in the country on Christmas which I guess is a huge deal in the UK uh but I guess a few years ago there was a campaign to get oh which rage against the machine song was it to yeah, be, right yeah, you know, yeah well, it was either things like on that or just getting or, like yeah.
0: Slade's Merry Christmas everybody back to the top of the charts mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, it's but yeah just like the whole idea of a Christmas single is so strange to me but all, but similarly Dustin the Turkey has had five number one songs on the charts
1: and also like major collaborations like he d- did a song with like Bob Geldof and it's just like oh uh, okay so like he he is a known quantity i guess in terms of irish music uh dustin mm-hmm. is i mean bob, yes. bob geldof we already knew about that <laughs> bob, but, bob geldof uh, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> bob geldof is great uh,
1: when you're that popular, you can parlay that in many different ways, such as running for president of Ireland in 1997. He did not make the official ballot, but uh, Dustin the Turkey is often a write-in candidate for people who cannot be bothered to vote for one of the actual human characters running for office. <laughs> so, he has a following and uh, and a personality. We'll, we'll put it that way. Okay.
0: Next question. How did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> like how how does how does a a turkey puppet that in fairness does have a string of five number one songs? Mm-hmm. Uh, how does that how does one parlay that into becoming a Eurovision entry?
1: Right, because I mean, usually like Eurovision is the launching pad. It's not like yeah, a step it's, it's, on it's, on your yeah, way to your meteoric rise. It's a,
0: yeah, exactly. Usually it's a step down if you're a known name.
1: Right, right. So in 2007, Ireland finished in last place uh, in the grand final with five points, all of them from Albania. So they were no longer in the heyday of the mid-90s. Like They they were at probably their biggest slump. Ireland was just getting very frustrated with the Eurovision in general, uh, because there were a whole bunch of countries that have joined the contest, Eastern and Central Europe, which hadn't been major players before, were winning every year, every other year. In 2008, Ireland decided, "All right, instead of doing internal selections, we're going to have a national final. Let the public decide the winner. There'll be a jury to offer critiques, but they won't have any voting power. It'll, it'll, it'll be fine." Dustin submitted the song "Ireland 12 points mm-hmm. and it ended up winning in a landslide. <laughs> I mean, number one, you have like a very popular public figure who has bona fides in the music industry, like a series of number one songs and very popular albums, plus lyrical content that really is not holding back. Uh, oh, yeah. No,
0: it's it's kind of vicious.
1: Yeah, like they're, they're not pulling any punches about the state of Eurovision in 2008. Like every country that is named in the song is from Eastern or Central Europe. And we're not part of the original core Eurovision. It's like the new guard. And so the song is trying to appeal to the glitz and glam and like yodeling rap of that has, has gained popularity Mm -hmm. in Eastern Europe. And also trying to like harken back to, no, we like, remember when we had an orchestra, remember when we had like all of these other sort of more traditional songwriting methods and mm-hmm. it's a pretty withering critique mm-hmm.
0: just sort of an in my day we had Johnny Logan and we had an orchestra and we liked it and it was grand
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Ireland used to be popular in it and getting the votes and it was like sub like really criticizing like style over substance and just being like no like let's, let's get back to like the roots of your vision mm-hmm. one of the things that I love about this entry is how it. Is an excellent example of highlighting the rules of Eurovision that are, it's not that they're obscure, it's just they don't come into question all that often, but you still kind of have to explain it when you're trying to explain Eurovision to people. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sort of like the no politics thing, like you don't want, like your songs can't be political in nature. Greece was challenging this song because the original lyrics refer to the country of FYR Macedonia as just Macedonia. Mm -hmm. And And Greece
0: Greece is all on top of that. They're very adamant that no, we were Macedonia... They are not. They are just imposters.
1: Yeah, yeah. They. Uh, it's like they have a Google alert set up for <laughs> any, any mention of it. <laughs> yeah,
0: to, 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 just jump with, to just jump in with a quick, y'all wish you were Macedonia.
1: Right. So Greece ended up winning uh, that ruling, so uh, that lyric did have to be changed, but it was just a slight tweak. I think they might have substituted uh, Macedonia for Montenegro or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Another rule is that you're not allowed to have any live animals on stage. Not an issue with Dustin the turkey, because Dustin is a puppet. He's not a real turkey. And costumes are encouraged, such as the full turkey drag that two of the backup dancers <laughs> had uh, in the performance. Mm-hmm. And then one of the main rules, which is usually a go-to when you're first explaining like how the entries work, is that there are only six people allowed on stage. And this actually came to a head uh, <laughs> in this contest, because you have uh, the person who's pushing the trolley that Dustin is on, so that Dustin can actually move around the stage. Yep. Uh, you have the two women who are serving as backing singers. Yep, so that's um, three. You've got the two backup dancers in full turkey drag. Okay, so five. You have Dustin. Okay, six. And you have Dustin's puppeteer. Oh,
0: Okay, Okay, but that's like the same person as Dustin.
1: Yes, but... Uh, <laughs> But for and your were-
0: purposes, he counts as a separate entity.
1: Well, it he does, and he doesn't. So the challenge was that, and I believe this was Greece, uh, but don't quote me on that one. Just because I couldn't, I couldn't find the original source, and I think there may have been other countries that were like trying to channel – A number of countries really wanted this entry disqualified. <laughs> having the puppeteer would be a seventh person on stage so they were arguing that dustin and the puppeteer were two separate entities even though the one entity had his hand inside dustin this is mm-hmm. getting gross <laughs> this is going to uh, the uh, whole the way that they were able to work around it was well the puppeteer is inside the trolley at all times their feet do not touch the stage at all. They are never visible because there's like a huge curtain around the trolley. So Dustin's the only one that's seen. So they, they ignore the argument that it's a person and a puppet. Just sidestep that completely. Yeah. Or, or they acknowledge it's like, okay, we take it that there is a seventh person here, but they're but not you, you, doing don't, you don't see them, so therefore they do
0: not exist.
1: Right, right. So yeah, it it's bonkers that it was challenged, and that this was kind of the reasoning that came, that they came up with to justify this continuing. I, just- I'm
0: just picturing like a future entry that consists of of like one person, and then what is definitely not a giant choir covered by a large tarp,
1: right? Or like I think it was Ukraine in 2012. They had uh, an entry where like there were dancers on the LED screen plus like actual backing dancers. So like it's sort of that there's more than like. Five or six people on stage, but like some of them are LED. But, uh, yeah, it, it's it's <laughs> the way that Eurovision defines personhood is a fascinating topic. I think. <laughs> so, despite all of this controversy, the song went on to perform on the stage in Belgrade, and yeah, it was was a favorite, a
0: favorite to win it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, uh, because, like, you know, bookkeepers know everything that's going to happen at Eurovision. Uh, and definitely as,
0: don't just say whatever entry is the, new, is the latest to come out is definitely the favorite. hmm
1: mm mm-hmm. uh, Yeah. Dustin finished 15 out of 19.
0: 2008 was like the first year I watched, and I mostly just watched like the second hat, like a good chunk of the final. hmm And then I think I went back and watched one of the semifinals. And I think I, I remember watching it, but watching it again 10 years later with, with 2018 eyes, mm-hmm. uh, this this entry is bad. I think that it could have committed to its bit more. <laughs> yeah. I, what? What more
1: could they do?
0: <laughs> I, I mean, there, there there is a whole winking thing that could have been played. I think a little bit more, more straight, and less. We're taking the complete wind out of Eurovision mm
1: Hmm. I. I mean. Everybody was dressed to the nines as, like, human turkeys. Also, (laughs) one thing
0: that irritated me watching the video is I thought that the lighting on Dustin could have been better. True. Yeah. Is is, is that, for the most part, he is shrouded in shadow, which I get it. There's a person under there controlling this puppet, but also, I want to see the puppet's face.
1: Yeah, I mean, Dustin is a, uh, like, I mean, he is a turkey, and turkeys aren't the most photogenic animal, but yeah but I, I also... <laughs> do agree that like the angles did not serve him well
0: but also he is your star and you should be right. focusing on the star
1: I think part of it was they had the DJ set up on his trolley mm-hmm. and like the song doesn't really have a DJ component to it so I think they I think they probably could have taken a couple of accessories off of the trolley yeah and it, it would have looked a little bit cleaner but yeah. I don't know if this is necessarily a bad and treat. like as, as satire i think it accomplishes a lot mm-hmm.
0: it, it accomplishes a lot of satire i feel like it's i feel like the underlying music is still just a bad eurodance track mm-hmm. like a and like kind of a dated eurodance track like it yeah know.
1: but i but it, i mean as far as like yeah let say as far as like as
0: yeah as far as sort of ridiculing sort of the the central european tendency to go towards those sorts of songs i get it
1: right and and i mean i think it's also Difficult to look back on it ten years on when there was that three-year stretch where it's just like, oh, mid-tempo with dubstep elements. (laughs) It's just like, oh, true, true. (laughs) Dustin was a pioneer in that uh, in that arena. (laughs) Let the beak drop, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Oh,
0: so many wonderful turkey puns.
1: Even though he wasn't successful at Eurovision, he. Was able to kind of ride the wave a little bit in late 2008 and like early 2009. The European Union was uh, trying to ratify the Treaty of Lisbon, which is a very complicated, I mean, like, not that there are super easy treaties, but just trying to research the Treaty of Lisbon. It's very administrative, and it's more like, okay, we've got these two bylaws that are kind of saying the same thing, so let's consolidate them. And it's just like a lot of administrative cleanup. And like, it's not saying like, oh, with this treaty, this will happen. Like, it's not a cause and effect type relationship, it's just more cleanup. Mm -hmm. Ireland ended up putting the ratification of the treaty up for referendum, Mm -hmm. Uh, they were the only country to do that. And when it came time for uh, proponents of the treaty to like explain what the treaty does, they couldn't really do that. Like it was raised more like, oh, well, it's like fixing this thing that it's just like just getting so into the weeds almost instantly that there's just nothing for anybody to latch onto so the referendum did not pass and the reason that we're talking about this in relation to dustin was that uh he was actively campaigning against the treaty uh i'm not sure if it was just because like he thought it wasn't good policy or if it was just the platform of well they didn't vote for us uh, at eurovision so don't vote for <laughs> don't vote for europe and ratifying this treaty <laughs> So, and just to bring this back
0: around, remember Jan Olasand. Eurovision is not a political competition.
1: Exactly. Drink. Drink. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. So it uh, with Ireland not ratifying this, the treaty had to go back to committee and just kind of restart the process again. Eventually, like everything got worked out, and the revised version of the Treaty of Lisbon included an item known as Article 50, uh, which allows countries to withdraw from the EU. And if that sounds familiar at all, that's because Article 50 is what triggered Brexit. (laughs) So So
0: here we are today.
1: Yeah, yeah. It just, it just, everything's just connected. It's the rich tapestry of Europe that uh, (laughs) just makes Eurovision so much fun. (laughs) Yeah. Little Red Threads connecting everything. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there was an article recently where Dustin accused Ireland of, or the delegation, of setting him uh, up to fail at Eurovision. Like, this is 10 years on. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, He's he's also indicated that he would like to represent the UK in an upcoming contest. Oh, which, okay. Yeah. He, he would like an automatic qualification. Yes. Yeah, there is that element to it. Yeah. And I think also, like, UK's really been struggling, so... Why not? I do not believe the BBC has responded to this yet, so stay tuned. So that's the joy that is Dustin the Turkey, Irland uh from 2008. Yeah, anything else that we should cover before we sign off? I think that does it. Happy Thanksgiving, Mike. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving, Ben. That's going to do it for this episode of the Euro What. Thank you for listening. Uh, the Euro What podcast is hosted by Mike McComb, that's me, and Ben Smith. That's me. You can find us on our website at eurowhat.com and on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at eurowhat. If you'd like to contact us by email, we can be reached at esc at whatelseison.tv. We'd love to hear your questions and comments. You can subscribe to the Eurowhat on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or the podcast app of your choice. Word of mouth is still the best way to get folks to listen, so please be sure to tell your friends about the Eurowhat Podcast. Uh, Rating and reviewing the podcast when you subscribe also helps other Eurovision fans find us. Have a happy Thanksgiving, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks to try to make sense of what's new in Eurovision.